courtside of the virtual hardwood, it's the MLSC Podcast. This is episode 477. I am Andrew, Andrew in our forum, Andrew MLSC on Twitter. Joining me as always, my co-host Derek, DV3 in our forum, and DV3G and DV384 on Twitter. Derek, we have an epic game to recap for our listeners this week. So this was only the second time that Andrew had ever played NBA Inside Drive 2003. And the way we connected was obviously, once again, through Parsec, which worked amazing as usual, and also in combination with the Xenia emulator, so the Xbox emulator. And we took the court with the Toronto Raptors on the same team against the CPU 76ers. And we're going to get into details about how the game went. But first, Andrew, I wanted to lay the groundwork for this not-so-epic matchup in real life. That's right. It was epic when we connected on Inside Drive 2003, but it wouldn't be an epic matchup in real life. No, not at all. Not at all. Those teams uh, had some interesting players, but not at the top of the standings. So the rosters are based off of the beginning of the 02-03 season. In both NBA Live 2003 and NBA Inside Drive 2003, Hakeem Olajuwon is still on the Raptors. Uh, He was um, a late scratch for the season. Um, He decided to retire right before the season started. So um, the the games were already made. The rosters were already out and whatnot. So, yeah, we we got the privilege of using um, Hakeem Olajuwon in a season that he never played in. And this Raptors team without Olajuwon, went 24-58. and 58. They were 7th in the Central Division. Get this, Andrew. Look at, listen to how different this is uh, compared to today. Uh, they averaged 90.9 points per game, which was 27th in the league. And this was their roster. They had Morris Peterson, Antonio Davis, Vince Carter. Vince Carter led their team in scoring with 20.6 points per game. Alvin Williams, Jerome Williams, all of these guys we used when we when we used the Raptors in the game. Vashawn Leonard, Lindsey Hunter, uh, I believe Rafer Alston was uh, an acquisition later in the season. Uh, they had Michael Bradley, uh, let's see, Nate Huffman, basketball legend Nate Huffman, etc. And the 76ers went 48 and 34, which was second in the Atlantic Division. They averaged 96.8 points per game and held their opponents to 94.5. They won their first-round series against New Orleans, 4-2. And they lost in the Eastern Conference semis to the Pistons in six games. So they did have some success this year, Andrew. And this was their team. They had Allen Iverson, Eric Snow, Keith Van Horn. Keith Van Horn actually did a lot of damage to us, especially in the first half. Kenny Thomas, Aaron McKee, Derek Coleman, Todd McCulloch, John Sammons, uh, Mark Bryant, etc. So those are just some of the the main names. Uh, the guys that did the most damage to us were Eric Snow, Keith Van Horn, and Allen Iverson. But those two teams weren't incredibly strong. However, I will say that that Sixers team does have some pieces. It does, and of course you have the... Uh... The real T-Mac, he threw, some, he threw down some big dunks on us, actually, inside. Uh, trying to stop him with uh, Alter Keem was uh, a bit more difficult than it perhaps should have been, but nevertheless, that did uh, make the game even more epic. 
Uh, of course, Vince Carter only played 43 games that year. That was the year that he spent, uh, he missed most of the first half of the season. That was the controversy, as you recall, around the 2003 All-Star game. People feeling he should step aside for uh, MJ to start, and uh, eventually he did at the very last minute in that game. But yes, that certainly set them back that year, and even though Hakeem wasn't there in real life, as you said, a late scratch, uh, deciding to retire despite being uh, under contract for one more year, uh, it was nice to have him in the game. It was fun to, to still have him on that team, even though it wasn't accurate. Yeah, he was helpful for us. I mean, he had a couple hook shots, and um, he was cleaning up on the offensive glass and throwing it down, and he had some decent defensive rebounds where he threw an outlet immediately when we were able to get out on the break. Uh, I think that what needs to be said even before we get into you know the game details and whatnot and what transpired is just how great of a game NBA Inside Drive 2003 is. I mean, it's only the second time that Andrews ever played it, and he will tell you that it is one of the most epic games he's ever been a part of on the virtual hardwood. And, you know, I was sending him highlights after the game of, you know, me flying in with Antonio Davis and getting a tip dunk off of an Akeem miss, Alvin Williams shooting a layup where he adjusts it in the air and finishes it on the opposite side of the hoop, um, Vince Carter going under the legs on a dunk, uh, Iverson doing a pump fake and then doing a little fadeaway, which he would really do in like the like 15 feet away from the basket. And it's just the attention to detail and the variety in the animations and all the different things that you can do in that game. It is a shocker for a game, like I stated, that, you know, that came out in the early 2000s. And we were just so impressed by it. I mean, we talked about Inside Drive 2004 last week. I commented how impressed I was with that game, how I thought it held its own against the very impressive Live 2004 and ESPN NBA Basketball, the 2K game that year, of course. But, you know, this is right up there with Live 2003 and uh, NBA 2K3 as well. In fact, as far as pace goes, it's a a more sim game than uh, Live 2003, which, as we've noted before, and as many people do know, leaned in that arcade direction. It doesn't have the dribbling controls of Live 2003, which of course introduced freestyle control that year, so it doesn't have that going for it. But man, yeah, that is a fantastic game, and you know, you asked me last week would I spend time with Inside Drive 2004 over Live 2004, and I said I, I might just I might gravitate back towards 2004 because of Dynasty Mode, but with the gameplay of 2003, I might have made the switch that year. If I had an Xbox, Derek, I might have ended up playing Inside Drive 2003 more. I might have gravitated towards other games earlier than I did, possibly. Yeah, and Inside Drive 2003 has excellent stat tracking. Um, And it actually seems to have a better sim engine than Inside Drive 2004 as well. One thing that I've always said is a mark of a great video game is, um, you know, it like as far as like in between the lines action is a game that can produce fun offense and fun defense. Like they have good offensive mechanics and good defensive mechanics. And how good are the poke steals and blocks in inside drive 2003 you had a block with Akeem where they tried to put up a floater around the rim and you suspended the shot in the air at the height of the ball and it looked absolutely amazing and obviously Kevin Calabro's commentary I think he said like upgraded or denunciated or something like that he has great commentary around each on-court happening but I love the steel mechanics in that game and the block mechanics. It's, it just feels very rewarding. Compared to 
an NBA Live 2003 where you have those big booming blocks that set that everybody, even like a Daryl Armstrong will block a shot and it's flying but to the opposite baseline. It's kind of fun, don't get me wrong, but it's definitely not sim. And sometimes you do want those softer blocks that you, that you can control, that you can keep in bounds and start a fast break with. That block I had with Akeem didn't. Uh, that did go out of bounds. It was very satisfying to have that kind of swat, get that out of here. But we had some other blocks, Derek, those softer blocks that you have in other games. Live 2001 is another game that has some really nice soft blocks that can start a fast break by collecting that loose ball and then throwing that outlet pass. And we had a couple of blocks with Hakeem and uh, I think uh, Antonio Davis that, that just jump-started those breaks that was so satisfying. And, and you're right, having that two-way play is crucial in any game that's uh, worth its salt. Any basketball game that's worth its salt will have a great two-way game that is fun to play at both ends of the floor. And a lot of games get offense right, but defense is always... Uh, if there's a problem in games, it's usually with the defense. Yeah, exactly. And I will say this too, I, and my brother feels the same way. The fast breaks and the fast break logic overall in Inside Drive 2003 and Inside Drive 2004, we find it better than live in 2K at the time. You know, just the way the players always keep moving, um, the animations when they catch the ball, they're not being sucked into any two-man animations or any ridiculous animations and, and whatnot. I, I just love fast breaking. And we had a play where... Um, I think it was Alvin Williams got a poke steal. So he, he jarred the ball and he threw it up to Vince Carter and Vince Carter obviously continued to head towards the hoop. The ball followed him and he caught it. And then he went under his leg and finished with a one handed jam. And I couldn't have asked for it to look any better. Like it looked great and it felt great. And the other one you pointed out to me was that, that Mo Pete dunk where he caught it on the break and took that dribble before taking off. Yeah, that power dribbled. How good yeah, did that look? Yeah, I mean, in so many games, in that situation, the dribble animation will be interrupted to go into the dunk animation, often a rocket dunk animation. But that felt really natural, felt and looked really natural. That was very impressive. Yeah, I, I just get floored every time I play that game. And I just I can't even imagine um, what those games would look like today. And that's kind of what inspired me uh to ask this week's mailbag question related to, you know, what past five-on-five NBA titles would you like to see come back? And um, I asked the audience if they could, you know, if they could only choose one, which one would it be? And I gave examples, you know, inside drive, NBA shootout, NBA in the zone, etc. And yeah, I, I think that inside drive would be unbelievable today just like it was back then. And I'd also love to see NBA shootout because, you know, at, it, it was NBA shootout. Then it went to the NBA 06, 07, 08, 09, and it had the, the, the life mode and all of that stuff. And the people that work on that game, San Diego Studios, um, they're the ones who make the amazing MLB The Show series. So they're doing such a great job with that baseball series. It'd be cool to see them make, you know, a basketball game today. Oh, absolutely. We've talked about that before. We will get to that mailbag question later in the show. Obviously, we did. We will say that we did exclude NBA Live from that question. Uh, not the, not because we don't want to see NBA Live come back. Of course, we've talked about that so many times, Derek. How we want to see Live come back. Uh, it's just that we have seen that within the past decade, whereas we haven't seen these other series in um, more than a decade. So we wanted to focus uh, on that. Before we go on, a reminder that the NLSC podcast comes out every week on the NLSC, mb-live.com, as well as our YouTube channel. 
We're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast apps. If you're listening on any of those apps, we'd greatly appreciate a review. To keep up with the show and everything we're doing with basketball gaming in general, connect with us on social media. On Twitter and Facebook, we are The NLSC. We also have an Instagram, NLSC Basketball. And on YouTube, we're youtube.com slash NBA Live Series Center. Once again, visit us at nba-live.com, where in addition to the podcast, you'll also find all of our original content, as well as our forum and modding community. Let's let's talk about this epic game, Derek. But before we we get to that, we should note that we it, it could have gone a very different way because we started a game with the Raptors and 76ers. We're taking control of the Raptors, as we said, and we had it on a, a lower difficulty. Sometimes we have that just for fun, and also because I've got a bit of lag because of where I live in the world, Australia, obviously. Uh, sometimes having it on a uh, an intermediate difficulty level makes it a bit uh, easier for jump shot timing and things like that. But it, it was too easy. It was too easy. So we, we cranked up the difficulty, and that was such the right call. So there's three difficulty levels in that game. And the medium difficulty level is veteran. And that's what we started on. So that first game, we played on veteran. I think we went up like 12 to 2 yeah. immediately at that game. And I didn't even say to Andrew that I was going to quit. I just like paused the game and quit it. I got it. And I yeah. messaged <laughs> Twitter. He knew why I was doing it. I said, we got to put this on the hardest level um, because we want this game to be epic. So I changed it to All-Star, which is the hardest level in the game. And as Andrew experienced on All-Star, the computer does not miss that often. Um, I think that in the first quarter, they probably shot close to 70 percent from the floor until we you know adjusted our defense and and started getting better at contesting shots and whatnot so another thing that was great about this game that andrew and i had is that we were playing it on the hardest difficulty level like it can't get any harder than what we experienced and um we started out in the first quarter just kind of like trading baskets and whatnot i think they ended up going up though i want to say 18 to 11 or 20 to 11 or something like that and in the back of my mind i'm like we still got this right like i didn't feel like we were getting completely dominated i felt like we had made some mistakes early on some errant passes um maybe we weren't taking the best shots and everything so then we ended up pulling it closer i think it was 25 to 20 and uh we were really getting it going with vince And I want to say that that started mostly at the beginning of the second quarter when we were really getting into it um, with Vince Carter. Antonio Davis was cleaning up everything around the rim. He was throwing it down. Andrew and I were making it a point when we grabbed a rebound to get it out on the break as fast as we could. So we were hitting Mo Pete and Vince Carter and Alvin Williams and Antonio Davis and whatnot. We were hitting all of these guys in motion in transition and we were trying to put pressure on the computer and i felt like in the first half specifically the second quarter um we were playing pretty good basketball especially considering that was only your second time with this video game um but yeah iverson van horn and eric snow were not easy to stop andrew no they they were killing us Uh, even Derek coleman stepped back and hit a three which uh, which he could do, so uh, they were just hitting us with absolutely everything in that game, and uh, and they started to pull away. They did, and specifically in the third quarter. So in the third quarter, it was an absolute onslaught by the CPU. And one thing about this game is when you make a turnover, they make you pay. And Andrew and I had thrown. <sighs> 
a few bad passes in the third quarter in the half court that went right to the CPU, which allowed them to get out on the break. And they're not just going to mindlessly attack the, the hoop when they get a steal in that game. And they're not going to just like charge the hoop and, you know, take a layup that's going to get blocked and whatnot or heavily contested. They're going to stop behind the three point line and hit a three if it's there. And there were a couple times where uh, we would make a turnover and they would immediately make us pay on the other end with a three. And I remember, I want to say Iverson hit one like that. Van Horn hit one from the, um, from the top corner, et cetera. And it was devastating. I want to say that during that, uh, like a two or three minute stretch in the third quarter, we went from being down, I want to say eight or 10 to 20. And it was just like in the blink of an eye. And at that point, I'm like, oh crap, we have a huge hole to dig out of. We're playing it on the hardest level. We're playing six minute quarters, so we don't have that much time. And I, like, like you stated when we were talking on Twitter, you're like, you know, we're we're just gonna have to make it respectable, right? Yeah. Like we're gonna do everything we possibly can to make it respectable. Get and some highlights, gonna... you know, just kind of try and turn it around and have some fun with it, and yeah, see if we can make it respectable because they just ran it out. I think they're up eighteen by the end of the third. Uh, uh, Greg Buckner. Hit a three, just ran up into three of all players, just uh, to to just like uh, that was a dagger at the end of the third. That uh, and at the beginning of the fourth, uh, even the commentary, Kevin Claver was like, "Oh, this game is over." He said, "He said the pain and suffering is almost over." Yeah, is what Claver said because we were down at the start of the fourth quarter, seventy-four to fifty-four, and then they smacked us with a three, so we were down seventy-seven to fifty-four with like five minutes to go in the game. And that's a 23 point deficit, um, against the computer on the hardest level. And I just remember thinking we have to get out and run and we have to get the ball to Vince and we have to get the ball to Vince as much as possible. It doesn't matter if I'm using him. It doesn't matter if you're using him and we need to attack. And I think what was beautiful about what we did with Vince Carter in the fourth quarter is that it wasn't all dunks. Right. Mm. You know how you think about, you know, oh, I'm going to stick it to the computer or, oh, I'm in a tough position. I'm just going to run by the computer and I'm going to dunk or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go full blown arcade because this game allows me to do it. And I'm just going to score over and over again by driving to the basket. You can't do that in inside drive. The defense is too good. So there is no like exploits in that way. So with Vince Carter, Andrew hit like a 15 footer from the bottom of the screen. Um, I hit like a fadeaway from the top of the screen. I drove hard right and hit a fadeaway. Um, I, I, there was some layups in there. There were some dunks in there. Um, there was a three in there where you handed it off to me and I hit a three. And then there was also a deep two. The, the onslaught by Vince Carter in that fourth quarter was so satisfying because of the variety of the way, you know, the way he was scoring. And of course, we we did miss a couple of shots, so we crashed the offensive boards and put it up and, and got those second chance buckets and everything. So we were just doing everything. We were getting out and running. Uh, we were we were aggressive. Well, I'd say we were, we were more assertive, Derek, because we were playing under control. We were we were pushing, but we weren't going crazy with it. We weren't trying to force the issue, as you said, not trying to get in there and dunk every time. If we had that open lane at the bucket, uh, we were absolutely doing that. We were getting the easy buckets whenever we could, of course, but we were mixing it up. We were taking good shots. The jump shot timing in that game is, 
is quite good. I, I, I think it might even be better than Live 2003 because I was hitting shots even with my uh, input lag, again, living in Australia as I do. But those jump shots were viable. You were knocking them down as well. Uh, scoring all over the court with Vince Carter, just making this run. And they were up 83-68 to 68, uh, with, about, uh, with about two minutes, uh, a little over two minutes left. And from there, we scored 17 unanswered to win at 85-83. And on the highest difficulty level, with two minutes left, once, it got, once we were under 10, once we got the deficit under 10, Derek, with about two minutes left, I felt it was viable. Once we got it down to five, I felt really good. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to jinx it. Uh, you know how superstitious us uh, sports fans and sports gamers get. But what an effort. I'm so proud, quite frankly, of that effort because we could have just given up. But, you know, how, how rewarding was that to get that win? It was. And, and I was always scared. Like in the fourth quarter, I was still scared because that team does have quite a few weapons. Like I told you, they did make, you know, the second round of the playoffs and lose to the Pistons in six. You know, Van Horn is a sniper in that game eric snow is a little bit too effective offensively because i know he had a three or two against us as well and iverson is always deadly and they still have Derek coleman who video games you know still at the time were making him a little bit too fast you know what i mean a little bit too bit too, no, bit too 90s Derek coleman yeah nine early 90s Derek coleman um so he's always tough to stop and mcculloch had a couple big dunks around the rim on us because you can't get lazy if you're not covering the paint in that game they will send a cutter to the hoop they will find him and he will throw it down which happened with the legend sam clancy once it happened with mcculloch a couple times um van horn had a couple uh cuts where he did a finger roll up over the rim etc so you can't fall asleep in that game uh in the fourth quarter so in that game actually we had 15 turnovers as a team which is a lot for six minute quarters but in the fourth quarter we only had one turnover Mm. and that was huge because like you said what we did is we decided to start you know we were really going to play smart and it was about getting it to vince carter it was about making the right pass it was about not forcing post-entry pass passes which caused turnovers earlier in the game and whatnot and it was just applying consistent pressure to the cpu so like you said we went on a 17-0 run and we i I remember us cutting the lead to three it was 83 to 80 and i drove hard right and i did a fadeaway with vince carter and i missed it and i'm like i hope i didn't just lose us the game because i think there was like maybe 40 seconds left yep when I did that and they went down the other end and we just relentlessly were contesting shots at the hoop. And I think they had three looks at the hoop and all three missed because we were just relentlessly contesting. So we go down the other end and my thought is there's only what 15 to 20 seconds left. We need a three. We got to tie this game and I get the ball to you down low and I move to the three-point line with Vince Carter. You hand it off to me. I shoot it. I Perfect release timing. The shot goes in, and it's a two. Foot in the line, yeah. My heart sunk. I'm like, damn. Because I, now I, thought it's it was, I thought it was a three-two. It looked like a three to me, yeah. It looked like a three when I first shot it. Oh, by the way, this video for our listeners, it's up on YouTube so you can watch the highlights of, you know, what, you know, the game that we're talking about. Um, The full game highlights are on there. It's a 12 minute video. It's definitely worth the watch. So there's a little over 10 seconds left. And I'm thinking, well, 
we're going to have to file and we're going to have to hope that they miss one or even if they hit both, we're going to have to head down the other and real quick and hit a three. But before the intentional file happened, I was like, I'm going to pound the steal button here and I'm going to try to get a poke steal. And if we can get a poke steal instead and get a basket, then all is right with the world. And I stripped it once they got the ball back and then I stripped it again and I want to say the strip was with Vince Carter and then Alvin Williams picked it up and Alvin Williams attacks the rim. He gets fouled from behind the finger roll goes in and we go up by one. And I look at my Twitter notifications and it's you with a big Marv Albert. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. When it happened, because I don't think either of us thought we were, you know, had a great chance to win this game. Yeah. That was then, less than 50, 50 at that point. It felt, but what a steal. Alvin Williams, hero of the game. Hero of the game. So I think it was 84 to 83, and I'm at the line. And I'm like, I need to put us with, you know, ahead by one possession. And the free throws are so hard in that game. They're brutal on the hardest level. My brother and I do not shoot a good percentage normally. But I nailed that free throw with Alvin Williams. It put us up two. So 85, 83. And there's like seven or eight seconds left. They get the ball to Iverson. I'm right in his face, but he takes a 30-footer. And you know how video games are. Yeah. <laughs> like, on certain video games, like on NBA Showtime, NBA on NBC, um, you know, some of the, you know, other past basketball games, like, that shot has a great chance of going in. That's a CPU and middle I'm, finger. That's a classic CPU middle finger. That Right. Yeah. And I was like, Iverson's going to hit this damn thing. Yeah. And he, that too. He, yeah, he missed it, and we won. And I just, like, I can't even believe that we came back from 23 down in the fourth quarter to, to win a game against the CPU on the hardest level. It, it was amazing. It's easily one of my favorite games that we've played together or, or all time for that matter. Overcoming that deficit on the hardest difficulty level when the CPU is prone to saying, okay, you know what? I've given you a chance. Now I'm just going to rubber band this and just be absolutely ruthless because it was quite ruthless throughout the game. And the shots that it was missing, it was... You know, you, you might think that's unrealistic, but I do actually have some historical comparisons that we'll get into shortly. But yeah, what what a what an amazing finish of that game. Uh, the free throw system, I did want to comment. I, I meant to mention that last week, actually, when we talked about uh, Inside Drive 2004, because it's the same method. It's, a, an, it's an interesting style, stopping it twice there along the bar. Uh, it does work, but I, I wouldn't say it's my preferred system. I mean, I, I couldn't use it. I, I couldn't make a single free throw with it. Uh, I missed rather badly when I had an opportunity to shoot with it. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of prefer the team meter. We usually miss badly. We, we do, my brother and I, and we played that game a ton. And it never gets easier. Like, it's just a really hard system. Um, obviously, the ball moves at a different speed, depending on how bad the, the free throw shooter is. There's no real adjusting to it. I, I far prefer the the team eater uh over the inside drive free throw mechanics um that's why i was surprised i hit that one with alvin williams i'm like no way i'm hitting this free throw and i almost got it perfect and it went in but yeah no i i i think that that's why we play right oh yeah that's why basketball video games that's why i laugh you know when anybody looks down at people who get into these games and whatnot because i was completely lost everything else in the world was tuned out i was completely lost in that action Same. lost in the game. It, it was almost like when i play real basketball right when i'm playing real basketball like i'm playing in a league right now 
I have a game tomorrow night, which is super exciting. But when I'm playing on the real hardwood, the only thing that matters in life, the only thing I'm thinking about is basketball. It's what's going on on the court, right? It's my defensive assignment. It's, um, you know, where I should be on the court. It's what I'm doing when I have the ball, all of that stuff. And it's beautiful. I absolutely love playing basketball. And that's one of the reasons when I was playing that game with you, everything else was tuned out. It was like, I don't think about any, you know, any issues in my life. I'm not thinking about, um, you know, if I'm hungry, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm thinking about what's happening in that moment on the virtual hardwood. And I was just completely in to that game and into that comeback and for it to, you know, come out positive on the other end and for us to have a positive result. That's what it's all about. That's awesome. Absolutely. And look, that would have been a, a fun session. I would have enjoyed connecting with you and playing, even if we had lost. I mean, it would have been more, always would have been more satisfying to win, naturally, but it would still have been fun just to connect and play a, a game of uh, virtual basketball. But getting the win like that uh, just made it, just, just made the made my day, really. And uh, and like you say, some people do look down on that, but that's, that's having a, a fun game with a friend and on the other side of the world at that. So what's, what's wrong with that? Right. And that wouldn't have been even close to as fun if I had had that experience solo, right? Like if I was playing one player, like the fact that we were able to do that and, and you know, share that moment together, it reminds me of, even though we were against each other on NBA Live 10, you know, when I hit that <laughs> Michael full court three that ended yeah. up winning the game against you. Listen, if I had done that against the computer, I would have been like, oh, that was cool. Right. But against you, you know, sharing that experience with you, even though you were my opponent and having you see that happen and experience it and everything. I'm sorry, but, yeah, you know, um, that just made it that much more memorable and that much more fun. You can see that clip. You, you shared that recently um, on Twitter. And look, as I said, I can't hate on that because even though I lost the game, what a way to lose. Right. And just, uh, you know, of course, I see it happen that way. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. But at the same time. Yeah, it was just so spectacular, and uh, it was special. It was it was absolutely special to see that happen, um, because we do see these miraculous shots in real life. So when we see it happen in video games as well, it's it's also really cool. And uh, and to that point, video games replicating real life, real life replicating video games. Uh, I did want to look up some stats to see how our comeback uh, stacked up against reality. And uh, now, now, Derek, I know you remember the uh, VHS tape uh, NBA Awesome Endings released in 1989. Oh, yeah. Nope, yeah, I've actually watched that a couple times. And if people want to watch that, they can actually go to uh, San Diego 73 or Santiago 73, uh, their channel on YouTube. They've uploaded a lot of the home videos from the 80s and 90s. They've been up for years, haven't been, uh, haven't got a copyright strike, so that's pretty cool. I'm guessing the NBA just doesn't care about it. Maybe they should put that stuff on a streaming service with all kinds of on-demand historical content. Just saying, but in the meantime, you can go to that channel and check out a lot of great home videos from that uh, that era. But as the name implies, it is focusing on awesome endings in the NBA, these great buzzer beaters, great comebacks, and things like that. And the one that came immediately to mind for me, having watched that tape myself multiple times, is the uh, Bucks versus Knicks game from this 1973 season. Uh, the Bucks were leading 86 to 68 with 550 remaining. Now, Derek, we were trailing 83 to 68 with about two minutes remaining. So if you adjust for six-minute quarters, for 12-minute quarters, actually a very similar scenario. 
No, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's one that I actually forgot about. I got to be honest with you. And yeah, that's actually Young Bucks Kareem, um, which is awesome. But yeah, I mean, the Knicks that year were so tough. That's uh, the Knicks. The Knicks won the championship that year. And that's, you know, Walt Frazier and, and Earl Monroe and, and, and Willis Reed and whatnot. So yeah, not surprising that the Knicks could make that comeback. And it, really, it truly was an epic comeback to behold. Like I say, 86 to 68, very similar to our score with uh, not much time remaining. And the Bucks didn't score up to that point. They just missed shot after shot, which going back and watching that again, as I did to, uh, to research this, reminded me a lot of our game because the 76ers were just starting to miss shots as we defended well and they uh, threw up a couple of ill-advised ones and we just crashed the boards as we did. And the Knicks ended up uh, winning 87 to 86 uh, Kareem missed a potential game winner as AI did you know it came to mind after our game and uh, going back and watching it I was really uh, tickled Derek by how close it was in uh, uh, statistically and so forth to our game yeah in the fourth quarter in our game Iverson and Derek Coleman missed a couple good looks at the rim that they would not normally miss I think Iverson um Actually, one was an outside shot with Iverson. One, he missed a layup in the fourth. I think Derek Coleman missed a 10-footer and maybe a 15-footer. Um, so they were, while we our defense did step up, we were doing a really good job contesting shots. But they did miss a few makeable shots that they made earlier in the game. And get this, in the 1986 playoffs, 76ers versus Bullets in the first round, the uh, 76ers were in control of game one there. They were leading by 17 with just over three minutes left. 94 to 77 after Sidel Threat's free throw uh, made it 94 to 77. But that was the last point the 76ers scored. The uh, Bullets scored 18 straight to win it 95 to 94 on a last second three by Dudley Bradley. 25% three point shooter that year, 5.2 points per game career average. He was a 1981 all-defensive team selection, but not the player you want taking that game-winning shot, but made it. Uh, again, a very similar situation uh, years later. You would want to choke me if we were playing like a retro-season roster and I hit a game-winner on you with Dudley Bradley. Yeah, exactly. Um, my brother and I talk about this sometimes when we're watching old games. Like You'll see players that you don't remember had certain parts of their game and like you, you'll see them doing it in real life. But if I had done that with that player on the virtual hardwood, my brother would have been like yelling at me like, well, what do you think he can do that? You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Like, how dare you use him like that? And one of those situations actually was Blair Rasmussen. So um, we were playing, uh, I want to say, uh, what was it? A 92-93 matchup. And I was using the Hawks. And I hit a few mid-range shots with Blair Rasmussen. And my brother forgot that Rasmussen could do this in real life. And he was like, really? Come on. Like, <laughs> Blair Rasmussen shooting the ball from 15 to 18 feet? Yeah, man. <laughs> so in order to remind him, <laughs> I put on a game, um, a Hawks game from the early 90s. And Blair Rasmussen is out there in that game. I think he hit like five or six mid-range shots um you know between 15 and 18 feet from the basket that's actually where he was best with that team so sometimes you do need those kind of reminders but i will say this about that 86 76ers team one of my favorite ever if it's the 85 86 76ers team 
it not only has Barkley, Irving, and Moses Malone, but it also has Bob McAdoo on the bench. And they still have Bobby Jones and whatnot. It's just a great video game team, and they're just they're they're, they're pretty stacked from top to bottom. Oh, for sure. And I'd like to throw out some other stats here. Uh, this year, in the uh, 2023 playoffs, the Heat actually had the biggest fourth quarter comeback in a series-clinching game. They were down 16 to the Bucks before they came back and won that game. Of course, now they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the Celtics in 2002, as you will remember, versus the Nets, and the Clippers in 2012 versus the Grizzlies both overcame 21-point fourth-quarter deficits to win playoff games. But the largest fourth-quarter deficit a team has ever overcome it came in the regular season, 28 points, the Bucks over the Hawks in 1977. So there have been some really big comebacks in NBA history that, again, our game reflected. So that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it makes me want to do stories and articles about these games that we have, right? Yeah. So we can preserve it, you know, to go along with the videos that I post on YouTube. Heck, I, I, like I've said on prior podcasts, I did that type of stuff when I was younger, when, you know, on a typewriter and, you know, I'd have like a section on Tecmo super NBA basketball and it would be an epic game. And I would run upstairs to my typewriter and I would type up a fake article about the game. And I would, you know, clip a, you know, picture of one of the players that were in the game from one of my basketball magazines. And I would glue it to the piece of paper and I'd be like, this is awesome. This is like a real article, right? about the game. So I still think about doing stuff like that sometimes because that stuff has always kind of like stayed with me Uh, in relation to the Oh two Boston Celtics comeback against the New Jersey Nets. Obviously that was a huge deal in my house because we weren't missing a Celtics game at that time. Watch all 82 games during the regular season, watch every game in the playoffs and everything. Um, And experiencing that as a huge Celtics fan and huge NBA fan was just enormous. It was so fun. Oh, I I can only imagine. Yeah. That, that, uh, that 2002 Celtics team was special making that run to the Eastern conference finals. And, and again, as we've said before, there was a lot of talk at the time. People wanted to see Lakers versus Celtics for the historical reasons alone. Yeah, I think we could have given as good of a matchup as the Nets. Yeah. I, I really do. I That Nets team overachieved. The fact that they were in the finals twice is very surprising to me. Um, I do like some of their pieces. You know, the Nets with, you know, Jason Kidd, um, Kerry Kittles, and, and Kenyon Martin, and, and whatnot. Like, they're, they were a good team, but I don't think that they should have been, you know, finals bound two years in a row but yeah that's the story of our epic game in nba inside drive 2003 as i said about 2004 last week would love to play more 2003 i'm definitely going to be up for that and you know we've talked about how it's unfortunate that the series stopped and that relates into our mailbag question this week of course but i'll also say derek that it's unfortunate that it didn't come out on pc as well that we only got inside drive 2000 on pc because the only competition was nba live on pc at that time really foxbox nba basketball 2000 came out on pc as well i suppose but uh, generally speaking live was the only game coming out on pc every year so there was definitely room in that space to try and uh, out muscle live on pc just as 2k did on console and then took over on pc as well when live left but it's a shame we didn't get it on PC. And again, it's Microsoft, so they could definitely do a Windows release. That's something they do. I think you would have modded it. Yeah. 
I think you would have dabbled in it. I think the community would have tried to get their hands all over Inside Drive 2002, 2003, 2004 if they were released for the PC. It's decisions like that from companies um, that are strange to me. Like you said, they're, they're Microsoft, right? And they had a prior PC release, NBA Inside Drive 2000. I, I wonder what their thought process was about you know not bringing that game to pc because it makes sense that they would have been on pc maybe it was the reception for inside drive 2000 wasn't as positive maybe live just was too well established or or maybe they just thought oh well basketball gaming sports gaming belongs on console a lot of people still think that 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 stereotype still exists despite the uh, despite the enthusiasm for the pc version in our community a lot of people say why are you playing it on pc why aren't you playing it on console i mean that that kind of stigma and uh uh, tribalism does exist uh, so maybe they looked at the numbers and thought it wasn't worth it but I, I wish they thought otherwise if so well i believe i saw news uh, i wanted to bring this up that madden 24 is going to be next gen on pc um i think they're also making it cross-platform and that brings hope to you know for me as far as 2k like no Madden isn't made by 2K Sports. They're made by EA Sports, a completely different company. But these companies watch what each other are doing, right? And it makes me hopeful that maybe NBA 2K24 for the PC will be next gen. It'd be, and that would be really big for the community. They've been wanting that for a couple of years and whatnot. And I have my fingers crossed because... I think that the modders on the NLSC will go to town with it. And I think that it will just be a better experience for all on PC. Well, WWE 2K23, which is Visual Concepts, that was a next-gen port or a new-gen port this year. So again, that's also a good sign. So there you go. Exactly. And I, th- I think that maybe it's been enough years now where people, the, the people making these decisions believe that there's going to be more people that can play these games right like maybe they do have newer computers maybe they can afford powerful enough computers that are going to be able to run these games and whatnot so we'll see but yeah a shame that we don't have the inside drive series and the nba live series and a bunch of other series apart from 2k uh, we're always talking about series we'd like to come back uh, including nba live obviously that was the question this week of course so derek it is time to open up the mailbag to the mailman what an unbelievable dunk. So I asked the community, which five-on-five five NBA basketball series would you like to see brought back? And I gave some examples, like I stated earlier on the show, you know, like NBA in the zone, NBA inside drive, the NBA shootout series, NBA starting five, etc. And I said, let's not include NBA Live because – we're always talking about NBA Live, right? It's been NBA Live and NBA 2K. That's all we've been talking about now, basically for over a decade, because the last player in the five-on-five space that was trying to compete was actually the NBA series, which used to be NBA Shootout. So NBA 09, the inside, and obviously NBA 10, the inside, for you know, which came out for the PSP. But we haven't had another competitor outside of NBA Live and NBA 2K, like a true competitor, you know, for over a decade now. And it's a real shame. I mean, look at the games that we've been playing and what they brought to the table. It just shows the uh, the need for alternatives. 
yeah, and it's been really cool to see people like Nate and Roger, the Live 01 legends, um, playing games like NBA Shootout uh, in this week's NLSC Top 10, uh, which I thought was excellent. You can check that out on the NLSC YouTube. Um, there is a highlight that was submitted from the Live 01 legends where it's NBA Shootout 2003, and it's Kobe going in for an awesome one-handed jam and bill walton's on the call it sounds great um ian eagle is on the call um it's uh yeah it's a great highlight so i like seeing these non-nba live nba 2k titles it's it's they're fun to revisit and it's fun to see them in the countdown you know playing games from the same year like that when we had that variety of games set in the same season it's almost like watching games on different networks, isn't it? You get those different commentators, you get that different feel, a different presentation. So it's uh, it's just different. Yeah, and Iron Eagle, obviously, the voice of NBA Playgrounds, right? So, like, for me, every time I revisit one of the shootout games where he's on commentary, I'm, like, thinking NBA Playgrounds because that's what I had visited, you know, most recently, and it's a newer game and whatnot. I love Bill Walton on the call because he was doing um, commentary for the shootout series, and then he jumped over and was doing commentary for ESPN NBA 2K, right? So he was on commentary there. So I love hearing Bill Walton on the mic, whether it's in real life and on the virtual or, or on the virtual hardware. Such a memorable commentator for us in the 90s, right? Yeah, and he's overly dramatic, and but not to a fault. Yeah, Like, I enjoy his exaggerations, his ridiculous comparisons, and everything. He makes the broadcast fun. He also knows his stuff. He was an incredibly smart player. Like, people look at his stats and think, why is this guy in the Hall of Fame sometimes? That is so wrong. He was a fantastic player. Injuries cut down his NBA career. But at his best, when he was healthy, incredible play. Is is one of the best. He showed how smart of a player he was when he was with the Celtics. Because he had lost a lot of his athleticism, a lot of his speed, his legs were gone, etc. But he was such a smart player that he was still able to be super effective on both defense and offense and help that Celtics team to glory, to, you know, to win an NBA championship and whatnot. Bill Walton is one of the most underrated players i would say i don't think he's talked about enough in the great centers conversations no i totally agree absolutely so we obviously always advocate for variety in the space we'd love to see it again even if it's just one title as a uh, as an alternative to nba 2k we're not alone in that regard derek uh looking at these responses to your question this week and uh, we'll start out with trent says uh inside drive for sure And after playing Inside Drive 2003 and 2004 these past couple of weeks, I would absolutely agree. And and once again, even though they weren't releasing on PC back then, seeing what Microsoft is doing these days with releasing some of those first-party games on both uh, Xbox and Windows, uh, yeah, I, I think Inside Drive would be a great candidate. Yeah, NBA Live 2003 has uh right stick dribbling obviously right right stick triple threat but outside of that i don't find that it has gameplay advantages or many gameplay advantages over inside drive 2003 for example Mm. i think that inside drive actually flows a lot better it flows at a more sim pace Uh, i think that oftentimes it's better animated and whatnot it's less arcade and i think that you know, if they were able to compete back then with, you know, NBA Live during NBA Live's second stage of glory, right? 
their next run of games that were incredibly popular and everything. I don't see why if they kept a lot of those minds on the project and that development team mostly intact, why they couldn't be competing and making absolutely ridiculously awesome basketball games today. Definitely. And I actually think that over the years, other games would adopt the right stick dribbling. I think that would become standard just as 2K finally adopted it uh, years after NBA Live did. I think that would become a standard uh, control feature in uh, basketball video games. Right, because imagine Inside Drive 2003, like those older titles, with right stick dribbling. Yeah. With all the other awesome gameplay elements they already have. Um, Yeah, that would have been excellent. Next up, we have Khalil Ward, says NBA Shootout, also released in Australia as uh, Total NBA. And, and, and hey, what, what, a, what more of a 90s title, Derek, than Total NBA, right? But uh, yeah, the NBA Shootout series ran for a while and was quite popular too. I was spending quite a bit of time last year on NBA Shootout 2004. Uh, I even uploaded a gameplay video where I was using the Sonics versus Chris Kamen's Clippers. And... Um, yeah, I mean, they were doing a lot of good with that series. I, I would say that it's definitely debatable, though, if those, you know, NBA Shootout 2004 and 2003 were actually better than, like, the late 90s shootouts, because I think that NBA Shootout 98 was an incredibly strong title, and I think that from a gameplay perspective, it, it can compete with NBA Live 98, which was incredibly well-received, and you and I both loved that title um but like i said with the shootout series they ended up becoming the nba series like nba the life you know nba 08 09 etc and now more than likely those games would be developed by san diego studios who actually uh developed the mlb the show series which is the number one selling baseball series out there and they do a fantastic job with that game so yeah i would absolutely love to see them dive back into the basketball five-on-five space. And uh, Playoff Kings also cast a vote for NBA Shootout, says, that's where I got my start. Shootout 97 and 98 on PS1 were some of my favorites. And I do have those games. I do have them as total NBA 97 and 98. Uh, I got them years later. I didn't play them until uh, probably the last few years when I started collecting them. But uh, yeah, definitely a lot of good stuff in those games. And, and again, it's such a 90s title. Uh, you know, I don't know why they renamed it for the Power Regions, but a very 90s title of Total NBA. Yeah. So Stildo was on the podcast, Stildo33. Obviously, he works on the NBA 2K19 retro season mods. Uh, he played a lot of NBA 2K17 and modded that as well. Um, you know, friend of the show. He's still working on those 2K19 rosters. He told a story about an epic playoff matchup with a friend, and that was on a shootout game and he has quite the fondness for those 90s shootout games and i think that what people today need to understand is that these alternative titles like nba shootout were sometimes primary for people in their household uh i remember there was a really long stretch where i wasn't playing much of nba live because i was obsessed with nba in the zone too Mm. right I put down NBA Live and I'm like, I'm going to jump all over NBA in the zone too. I'm going to jump all over the hidden legends. I'm going to put them on a team and play a season. I'm going to use the Pistons through a season, which I did with Grant Hill and Joe Dumars, et cetera. 
And I loved that there was the national anthem before the game and the, how they announced the lineups. And I liked the animations and all of that stuff. It was a completely different experience playing NBA in the zone or, um, instead of NBA Live. So there was a time in my life where an alternative title was absolutely my primary. So I get it. I mean, NBA Live was popular, but there are a lot of people that grew up playing those other games or preferred them to live some, at least some of the time. Yeah, no, 100%. And sometimes, and maybe that was his case, maybe Shootout was the only game in his house, right? Maybe he got it as a Christmas present. That's the one you pick up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right, exactly. So he might have a certain fondness and nostalgia um, specifically for those games for giving him his start. We have two more votes for NBA Inside Drive here uh, because media says NBA Inside Drive, most definitely, it looked great while still being able to play well. And uh, Keys 3-2 says, I think it would be inside drive because it had the most potential, in his opinion. Well, I can't disagree with that, right? Yeah. I think that inside drive 2003 and 2004 are stronger titles overall than shootout 2003 and 2004, though I do like those titles and whatnot. And we know what happened with the Konami games like NBA um, in the zone. They, you know. They dropped in the zone, then they went, I believe, over to NBA starting five and whatever, and that that was not a hit. It was really raw. They didn't continue with that series. Um, they tried to bring it back with NBA starting five, 2005, which you and I played, and while it looked amazing, the gameplay was super troubling for us. Um, a lot of <laughs> weird animations, a lot of weird on-card happenings, heavy players, heavy animations, all of that stuff. Um, that game wasn't even released in the U.S. You and I had to have it delivered from outside. Um, you know, for me outside the U.S. and you from outside of Australia. But, yeah, I think that NBA Inside Drive had such a strong gameplay base. Like he said, it looked good and played good like it was both it's like it's the perfect storm yeah they got it right there are some games that do as you say do have that those impressive graphics and oh these are cool features and all the menus look great and oh it's got espn branding Uh, i'm thinking of espn nba tonight here in case you uh in case people don't realize but um when you put it on the floor i mean we can have fun with it but it's definitely not on the same level as other games of its uh of its vintage i agree 100 percent and uh, speaking of NBA starting five, that is Popcorn Jones 77's answer. Says, uh, fun AF game. Here's the thing. Konami, right? What did you associate Konami with for the majority of their run with basketball video games? Fun. It was fun. It was fast-paced fun. Konami is double dribble, you know, double dribble playoff edition also for, you know, Sega Genesis. It's the NBA in the zone games, which were just, you know, fast-paced, loud dunks, good mechanics overall, a good presentation. Konami would be incredibly welcome back in the space because you know if they were making games that they would make them fun. And uh, before we head over to Discord to get the, and that one more response, uh, Real House is uh, sport for choice. Not sure which way to go. Has posted a, a cat gif looking back and forth. Uh, yes, so yeah. yeah that, I, think that, the cat's, I think the cat's, cat's going, oh. Yes, it is. It's yeah. Trouble make decision, yeah. And you look at those games, you wish we still had that variety in the space. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough call. Yeah, definitely. And also, Run and Gun was Konami. I just yeah. want to point that out. Um, and how fun is that game? So I was just thinking back to Konami. I'm like, there's, there's actually been a lot of titles that were um, made by Konami that just give you hours and hours of fun. 
But heading over to the Discord now, uh, Wizcard Rush says, I would choose NBA starting five. So another vote for Konami's NBA starting five. Konami making a basketball is so fascinating, especially during that era. The last game that came out only in Japan is a solid entry and came with a couple of classic teams. A couple of us from the Discord played it through Parsec a few weeks back. It had realistic physics and felt fair to play. Uh, I may disagree on the quality of the game, but it is a very interesting game, and I'm very glad I have it in my collection. And yeah, those classic teams, uh, what a huge addition that flew under the radar. I know, p- people don't talk about that, right? Uh, the fact that that game included uh, classic teams and that the rosters were so well done and the graphics look great, like the players look like their real-life counterparts on those classic teams, etc. I don't like the gameplay on that game. However, I'm willing to spend a little bit more time with it to try to get used to it uh, because I have not spent a ton of time with that game. But you'll notice the theme here is they bring up Konami, right? Mm. Because, say again, it's konami style it's konami games um like people associate konami with fun basketball titles so it's natural that those people who who remember konami fondly um are gonna want would love to see them come back i mean it's the eas and the two k's of the world that really got the the sim right the, the sim aspect right in their best games and their best releases but konami as you say knows how to make fun games or certainly did back in the day and and yeah, a lot of that that hybrid style they had in the in the Zone series and so forth, that sim arcade hybrid was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And I like I said, I think that a lot of people want a different experience. That's why you know NBA Jam became so popular immediately on releases because it was a different experience than the five on five sim slog, right? that you had with some of the basketball video games at the time. So they're like, hey, this is faster paced. Hey, this is arcade. Um, you know, I'm not even that big of a fan of basketball, and I love playing this, etc." And then you can also have the five-on-five arcade-type style that differs from that five-on-five sim slog, if you don't like that. So, you know, you had a lot of those games back at the time. You know, you and I connected on NBA in the Zone, the original one for PlayStation, that game is not sim, Andrew. No. That game is not super sim. I mean, you could, you know, dunk it from the free throw line or close to it with, I don't know, Don Reed, right? Like Chris Mullen. Not, <laughs> right, with Chris Mullen. Actually, you did have a dunk like that. But it was accepted in the space because it doesn't always need to be sim. It doesn't always need to be serious. And it's fun using players that you know in a league that you love in a different fashion. Absolutely, right? yeah. So like when we connected and you were dunking from close to the foul line with Chris Mullen, hey, you know what? For that game, for that experience, it was still fun. So like, yeah, I think that all different types of gameplay styles can work with the NBA license and that there will be a market for those games. I agree. And it is something that we are missing in the space with the disappearance of those other companies, those other developers. I mean, we talk about the absence of live, even just having the uh, not having that alternative in the sim space, but having those hybrid styles, having the arcade style of NBA Jam and NBA Street and NBA Playgrounds did kind of try and fill the gap, but we've talked about its deficiencies before. Still very solid games, don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, we're all for having a choice in the space again. But in the meantime, we do have our collections, Derek. No, we definitely do. And you know what? I was counting. And I have well over a hundred video games, basketball video games in my collection. And I was thinking that I'm going to need to show that on social media like you did at 
some point. I've shown my shootout collection. Speaking of non-NBA live NBA 2K games, I have every shootout game and every NBA series, you know, the NBA 09, blah, 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 series games. Um, I have all of those from the original all the way up to NBA 10, the inside for the PSP and whatnot. I'm going to have to show my collection. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing that. I-, I will say, though, uh, fair warning, put aside an afternoon to set it all up and get that photo and then to put it away again. The putting it away again is the worst part. Yeah, I know, I know that was a big thing for you, and I know that it took you a while to not only set up the games but also to you know put them all away. But thank you for those responses. Always great to hear from our listeners, Derek. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's clear that other people would love to have alternatives in the space, just as we do. Fingers crossed, right? That's right. Maybe Maybe someday NBA Live will come back and then, you know, another company will also return and then we can have true viable competition in the space. And if that happens, everybody has to up their game. Well, that being said, that has brought us to the end of this week's show. As always, we thank you for tuning in and invite you to join us again next week, either on the NLSC, nb-live.com, our YouTube channel, or your podcast app of choice. In the meantime, please connect with us on social media. That's where you can get in touch with us and, of course, stay up to date with all of our content. So, Derek... Go ahead and plug the handles. You can find me on Twitter at D43G and at D4384. I'm also on YouTube, D4 3 and on the NLSC, D4 3 I am Andrew in the forum and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. The NLSC is on Twitter and Facebook at the NLSC. Our Instagram is NLSC Basketball. We're on YouTube at youtube.com slash Center. And of course, give it luck to the NLSC itself, mb-live.com, for everything we do for basketball video games. So, thank you once again for tuning in, and until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Derek. Go get buckets, everyone. <laughs>